Right to be Red podcast, episode number 45. Interview with Nick Lapper. You are listening to the Right to be Red podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Red podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. I'm your host, Annie Alexander. And before we begin, I would like to thank once again, everyone who is listening to this show. I really appreciate every single one of you. And I hope that the podcast provides valuable information and, as promised, encouragement and inspiration as well. Well, um, if you have written a book and don't know what to do next, I have created an ebook which will help you find out everything you need to know about creating a good quality book, preparing that book for publishing and finding your readers. So just head over to www.annealexander.com com slash free or uh, just click the link which I will include in the show notes to get the book. Today I'm interviewing Nick Loper. Nick Loper is the founder of the Side Hustle Nation and he believes in the hustle, he's hustling and one of his side hustles is publishing. So we'll talk about entrepreneurship, we'll talk about side hustle and we'll also talk about Kindle book marketing and uh, believe me, um, the tip and the unexpected um, thing that Nick shared with us today is uh, something you won't find out anywhere else besides his blog, I guess. So let's head over to the interview. Hello, Nick, and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast. I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks for coming. Oh, Annie, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. I was just looking at your website, actually, before we started um, talking on Skype. And um, it's, I mean, I love the colors. They're really kind of, you know, very cheerful. So, <laughs> and and I love the design and it's really nice. And, uh, but what I love most is the topic. So, uh, but since it's your website, I want you to present what it is about and why did you create it? Well, thank you for the the design compliments. It's a it's a totally free WordPress theme, so I can't take too much credit for it. the uh, The site is is called SideHustleNation.com, and it's uh, just kind of a blog and podcast and community for part time entrepreneurs, aspiring, I should say, and part time entrepreneurs who are looking to earn money outside of their day job, either just for a little bit of a, of a financial cushion or to build a build a bridge so they can eventually quit their jobs okay so those are i mean uh, i have a feeling i don't know if i'm right or wrong but i have a feeling that most of my listeners kind of um, are in that group of people who might well, be in, <laughs> yeah because uh, i have a feeling that uh, most of them uh, don't really like their jobs that much and since they have another passion they're kind of looking for different ways to to get away from the so such a time consuming day job which which doesn't leave too much space and time and energy to write as much as they would like to yeah well publishing is one of one of my 
personal favorite side hustle. So this is this is good. Now it's um, it's definitely a tough gig to I think make a full time uh, thing out of. But we can get into that and best practices and all that stuff. Yeah, well, publishing. Yeah, I, I think the the good thing about publishing right now is that it's very accessible to absolutely everyone. So even uh, people who don't have too much money and uh, too much time to invest, they still can kind of get some decent results at the end, right? Right. The the ability to put your work for sale. I remember when I when I put my first book up on Amazon. Like how cool it was to like go to Amazon and search my name or search the title of the book and it, you know just have have like a buy button on the world's largest store whatever whatever that figure is like 250 million verified credit card accounts and just um, you know that's one thing that I like to talk about on on my podcast a lot kind of having as many buy buttons out there as you can uh-huh. giving people uh, different opportunities to do business with you to interact with you and uh, and Amazon definitely being a huge huge platform to do that Okay, so but you didn't start with the publishing as a side hustle, right? You did something else. What, what, what kind of things were you doing before getting also into the publishing? My original side hustle was a, a comparison shopping site for footwear. So it was called, back, back in the day, it was called shoesrus.net. And what it was, it was kind of a, a catalog aggregator of all the different uh, footwear retailers like Zappos and, I don't know, Zappos is really the only like brand name one, but there's like 30 or 40 others. Mm-hmm. And pull in all their all their shoes and say, if you're looking for a specific model of shoe, it's going to be available at these five or six stores. Here's where you can get some coupon deal. Here's how much shipping is going to cost and ultimately where you can find the best deal. And then those stores would send a finder's fee, a commission back to me for anyone who had purchased through the site. Okay. So it was like an affiliate marketing thing. You were getting affiliate commissions from sales. Exactly. Okay, cool. So uh, are, are you still, uh, because I, I'm not sure, are you still working full time and uh, doing this as, as a site thing? I am uh, I'm full-time self-employed at this point. Wow. I, that's... I quit in 2008. 2008. So you're full-time self-employed since 2008. And I, I I wish I could tell you it was all rainbows and unicorns and puppy dogs, but it's been a lot of ups and downs in that time. Um, but hopefully uh, hopefully more ups than downs. So I at least haven't had to dust off the old resume in a while. So so still doing okay. Well, I, I, I think that um, it should be more ups than downs because you, you never got back to the corporate. So, you know, <laughs> either the corporate was a terrible experience for you <laughs> or, or, you know, you didn't really get that terrible results and, and you know, you, you managed always to, to push through and, and get better with the time. So you're self-employed. Uh, how did that feel? I mean, many people are kind of, you know, trying to to get there and uh, you know there you know many people have it as an ultimate dream to to be completely self-employed you know once you became one how did it feel well it it didn't go exactly as planned on on day one was kind of a a pretty serious wake-up call uh, so my first day of, of, I called it my retirement so my first day of self-employment the the server for the shoe website uh, goes down, which is like, okay, that's fine. That's temporary. I'll go to the gym or something and come back. Um, but of all the days, Google 
decided that this was the day they were going to crawl the website for their quality guidelines. And so immediately they're like, well, this site doesn't even load for one, like this is horrible. Um, and then when it finally came back online, it had kind of raised a red flag and kind of gotten on their radar. And uh-huh. so they took a closer look at it and said, hey, you know, this is just a crappy uh, affiliate site. The only purpose of this site's existence is to send people to other sites. And I was like, that's the whole purpose of Google. Who are you to talk? <laughs> but it was, um, so they essentially shut down my advertising account for, the, for that summer for three months um, as I kind of worked with the, the tech team to kind of make the tweaks. They don't really tell you what they want to see, but, uh, you know, essentially lost 80% of the traffic overnight. Wow. Very, very stressful summer to try and get back in their good graces. And, uh, you know, just kind of, <laughs> that, that was, that was a big, uh, big wake up call towards, towards, you know, diversification and just, you know, not relying on one source of income, one traffic source. And so that's kind of what the, uh, maybe, maybe the be- beginning or planting the seeds of the, of the side hustle nation stuff uh, at that point. Okay. So one shouldn't put all their eggs in one basket because you never know what happens. <laughs> You never know. People will, you know, people will say, oh, starting a business isn't that risky. It's like, well, is it any riskier than, you know, relying on, you know, your employer, relying on only one source of income for your livelihood? So I don't know. I think I think doing it part time uh, to start is a is a way to mitigate that risk. Well, I mean, I, I have a feeling that there's nothing risk free. Actually, I mean, li- living is risky too. You never know what will happen to you. Uh, right. I mean, you don't have any guarantees uh, anytime. So it's just something that uh, I mean, even if you are working in in a corporate and in on a very good position, and even if you are happy with your job, you never know what will happen next, and you'll. Never never know when they will change some policies you'll never know what you know what their new strategy will tell and very uh, i mean one day you may end up having this um, box of your stuff in your hands <laughs> walking out so it's just um, i i truly believe that one should diversify because that's the only way to kind of you know at least get the illusion of being safer <laughs> Yeah, at least you feel like you're working towards working towards that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but right now, um, since you've been diversified, I suppose, um, what are your main areas of um, of business? So, even though I, I shut down the affiliate, or, or sorry, shut down the the shoe site earlier this summer, uh, after eight or nine years of, of, of running it, it finally kind of outlived its usefulness. Um, so I still do uh, affiliate marketing and a couple other properties. Um, I do the Kindle publishing stuff. I've got the, the side hustle nation stuff. So I run uh, some private coaching and private mastermind stuff through, through the blog and podcast there. Um, what else? Some freelancing stuff. I've been doing experiments on Fiverr. Um, I've been doing experiments on, you know, building courses for Udemy, um, just, you know, a handful of different, uh, different projects and trying to mash it all, all together into a full-time thing. Yeah, well, I think this is, I mean, what you're saying brings me to the thought again that entrepreneurship is kind of a personality-based thing because you kind of, you know, you, you 
don't uh, you're not afraid of changes and learning new things and trying and experimenting with different possibilities which is i mean not everyone is comfortable with these kind of things so but it's something that all entrepreneurs should do and if they can't or then don't feel comfortable maybe that's not for them actually so it's um yeah very interesting that you you've tried so many different things and since um you mentioned the affiliate uh, marketing and also your uh, side hustle nation um those two do, do you think that it's a bit more difficult to create something which is relationship based and you know building the audience with whom you interact and and get engagement from rather than, you know, driving traffic to the site and getting commissions? It's definitely it's definitely a slower play. It's definitely a more long-term play. And I kind of knew that getting into it. But one thing, I guess one, one thing that's been most effective has been the podcast, actually. It's probably grown three times faster than the blog itself in terms of, you know, downloads versus traffic to the site. And it's, you know, kind of exposed the the side hustle brand to uh, to a whole new group of people which is really really cool yeah interesting uh, i experienced that too actually i had a feel i i didn't know i thought maybe that was just my experience but yes i mean uh getting audience through podcast for me was much easier than through blog yeah i think it's just so much less crowded as you know as crowded as it is it's still like you know a tiny percentage of, of what uh, you know what the you know websites indexed in Google are, and so that's kind of uh, a cool way to go about it. And it's and it's fun because it's you can you can watch the growth of it because it takes the same amount of time and energy uh, to produce an episode that ten people listen to or one that a thousand people listen to. And so I don't know. I'm I'm still excited on the medium. It's probably the highlight of my week. Talking to awesome people and putting together the show. That's um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, podcasting is is really cool thing, and it 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 really brings you uh, the opportunities to meet very cool people whom otherwise you would never meet, most probably. Now, what I would do, I was I'm trying to think because it's it's still tough to monetize. Like, if you want to sell sponsorships, you want to sell advertising, it's like you got to have huge, huge volume, huge numbers to make it worthwhile. Um, but where I think it makes sense is if you have some service to sell on the back end, and I'm you know, not, not doing a great job of this either, but I was talking with somebody who was like in the, in the hospitality industry, like they were doing like executive coaching for people who manage hotels or something. Uh huh. And it was like, oh my gosh, you could run a podcast where you're like interviewing, you know, the managers of the, of the Ritz Carlton or like owners of these other hospitality groups or like people who run successful Airbnbs and all this stuff and kind of like position yourself as the expert by interviewing these experts. And then like, you know, who's, who's going to be interested in that podcast? Like other people in the hotel industry It's like, oh, this could be, I don't know. I was getting excited for her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and I was thinking like, you know, I, I, when I was just launching my podcast, although I've been in self-publishing for quite a while, but I, I never positioned myself as an expert. I mean, being myself as an expert but well, you are the expert <laughs> no, well i mean compared to to the bigger experts let's say <laughs> but i always uh told people like you know okay i don't know the answer but i know people who know the answer for sure so you know i can get the answer anyway so if you if you want the result if you want to find out you know how to solve a problem i can bring that solution so may, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't come from me specifically you know i can get it for you 
which yes. is which is really and and that uh you know is being achieved through podcasting and through creating these uh, connections so you uh, later on if you need something you can go and approach those people at Absolutely. some point yeah and you've had you've had Joanna Penn you've had Steve Scott you're going to have Pat Flynn yes you already had Pat I had Pat Flynn already yeah so you you're talking <laughs> to some big name you know big name people building that, those connections that's really really awesome yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was really surprised how, uh, I mean, I don't know, many people have this um, image that it's very difficult to get those people on were their podcast. Were you nervous sending that email? Oh, I wasn't. And maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, I, I knew that I couldn't do much. So, you know, what I could do was write the best pitch I could, most probably. And the worst thing that could happen was they would say no. So, you know, I, I was trying to look at it from the logical point of view, you know, not to get too disappointed at the end and not to yeah. be overexcited and have great expectations in the very beginning. So, uh, but what I'm thinking is usually um, people are looking, I mean, many, many people approach me, more people approach me asking how you get such big guests on your podcast than people who are approaching me with things related to self-publishing, actually, <laughs> which yeah. is very funny. But what I'm thinking is, uh, you know, I can't answer those people because uh, there is no one magic button. What I'm doing is I'm customizing everything based on the guest. I'm pitching, mm -hmm. so I don't have a standard email text, really. I don't have a really, I mean, I don't, approach everyone through emails, you know, with someone, someone I can use Twitter, with someone else I can use Facebook. So it, it all depends who you are approaching and how well do you know this person. So it's kind of, you know, once it starts be becoming personalized, you, you know, it feels that you're not just someone out there. And you, if you sound desperate, I, I guess it's going to be very bad. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, you shouldn't sound desperate. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, but anyway, it, it's just amazing um, opportunity. The podcasting, I think, it can be kind of linked to any kind of side hustle activity, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's really it's, it's a good branding, uh, good branding element, and probably a good marketing channel for your other services. But yeah, it's it's probably not. I wouldn't consider it a business on its own. Okay, so um, what would be your biggest advice like something if someone is starting to side hustle parallel to his work uh what he should look for and which should be the very first steps so i'll give uh, i'll give a handful of of answers here so i asked so at the end of every show i ask you my guest for what's what's your number one tip for side hustle nation and when you know through 50 episodes there were a handful of kind of common things that that'll stand out. So I'll give kind of those common answers and then what I would, you know, give my as my number one piece of advice. Cool. So the first the first um, you know, kind of common question that, or kind of common answer that appeared over and over again was just do it. Just you know, get over yourself, get started. Uh, you know, you'll you'll be better off. And this is this is very much true. Like a year from now, you'll be happier that you started today. It's like, oh my gosh, it's 2014. I can't start a blog. I can't start a podcast. Look how crowded it is. If I only started this in 2008, well, you know what? It's not going to get any better in 2015. So you might as well start today. And then, you know, a year from now, you can look back and say, okay, I'm glad that I started today. And if you, you're going to have some learning from that, you're going to, you know, make pivots and changes along the way. 
you know, you're never going to be able to do that um, until you get started. And one guest brought up a really, really good point. He said, sometimes the best opportunities aren't even visible until you're already in motion. And I, you know, no one had ever expressed that to me before, but I was like, oh my gosh, that is so, so true. Because as you kind of start down this path, all of a sudden, like the vision, the vision changes and like new, new things begin presenting themselves. You put yourself out there. Other people start connecting with you and presenting these ideas. Like it's, I don't know, it, it's kind of, you have to put a little bit of uh, a little bit of faith into that. But that one, I thought that one was really good. Uh, the second point is kind of adopting this, this lean startup mentality of just in time learning, just in time shipping, uh, you know, minimum viable product type stuff. Um, and just you kind of like the bootstrapping mentality of like, look, I'm not going to dump my life savings into this idea before I validate it, before I test it out. Like, who, can I find a customer? Like, how can I get my first customer as cheaply as possible? Something like that without putting too much risk uh, on the table. Mm-hmm. The third point that my guest brought up was just building, building your team and building your network. And the network thing was something for years and years and years, like I kind of neglected, like I would go to conferences and, you know, I would add people on LinkedIn, like when I got home and whatever, I thought that was, I thought that was networking, but it wasn't, you know, really establishing any great connections. Like, or I don't know, not like, I don't know, it sounds, I don't, I don't like the word networking, but the the value of a, of a network that you can lean on people who will you support them and they support you is is so invaluable and i'll give the example of like something stupid like slideshare so slideshare is like a presentation sharing platform and you put together your little powerpoint and if they like it they put it up on the homepage mm-hmm. and you get traffic from that and what I found is if you can get even just a handful of people, like six or 12 people to, you know, tweet your presentation once it goes live, like that sends the social signals to their algorithms or whatever. Hey, this is a presentation that people like. We ought to feature it. And, you know, not not having that network two years ago to ask, hey, would you mind tweeting this? Like they would go nowhere. But like if you have a handful of people that, you know, know, like and trust you, and you're like, hey, I'll share your thing. And then, you know, it kind of builds on itself. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when I, when I turned the, turned the mic around and asked myself, well, my number one tip would be just really to find your why, like what's, what's motivating you, especially as a side hustler, you know, you, you have limited, limited time, limited hours. And so if you're doing something you don't particularly care about, the, the last thing you need is a second job that you hate. Right. Yeah. So if you're, but if you're working on something you care about, if you're working on something that that you're interested in that helps other people, I think you, then you're going to have that intrinsic, inher- inherent, internal motivation to keep pushing, to keep going. Because it is, it is worth it as long as you have that. Absolutely. Uh, that yeah. If you have your why, you know what you're doing it for. And you kind of, you know, because all of us have those days when you we kind of, you know, feel really down on the, or are disappointed and feel like giving up. And yeah. if there is no why underneath uh, as a foundation, um, most probably we will give up. So uh, that's that's very important point because if not that uh, to rely on, I think you know m- most of the people usually give up because they think it's not worth it, and they think so because they don't have their why in place beforehand. Okay, let's um, let's. 
concentrate on the self-publishing part. How did you get into that? Did you just, you know, decide that it's it's booming and it's interesting and people are doing it? So I'll I'll go ahead and write a book too, or uh, how did it happen? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> um, so I had uh, I had an affiliate site on uh, the topic of outsourcing, topic of virtual assistants, mm-hmm. and the site at the time like wasn't great looking aesthetically. And so it was like, and it's still not, um, <laughs> but it's better than it was. And so I was like, I think, you know, if, if I could uh, write the book on this subject, it, it's going to help the site uh, appear more authoritative. People are going to come here and be like, hey, it doesn't look amazing. Maybe he's working on a redesign or whatever, but he wrote the book on the topic. He must be knowledgeable. It's going to be okay. And the surprising thing, so, so I, you know, put together the Kindle book and I think it was around... 16,000 words, 17,000 words or so when I launched it. So not a very uh, long book, not, mm-hmm. not talking like, you know, war and peace or anything here. Um, so I put it up on Kindle and didn't know what I was doing, like made some horrible formatting mistakes, like despite what I thought was like triple checking everything, like apparently all the images were missing when I first uploaded it and sent out a free promotion that was downloaded by 1000 people. And I guess all the images were broken and thankfully no one flamed me in the reviews for that. But it was, uh, you know, just some like rookie mistakes. Mm-hmm. But since then, the the surprising thing is, so I thought that I would, you know, people would come to the website, they would buy the book and, you know, they would learn about this topic. The surprising thing is no, almost no, almost none of the sales, because I'm tracking with that affiliate link, almost none of the sales come through the website. Almost all of the sales come through Amazon's own ecosystem and, and ranking and people searching directly mm-hmm. uh, uh, directly through there. That, I don't know. That was really surprising, but kind of opened my eyes to the power. You know, even if you have, you know, a small amount of traffic to your website, it just pales in comparison to the the long tail reach of, of Amazon and the kind of all of their different categories and their search engine and stuff. So that, that was my start. And so now I've got four different books up on Amazon and and keep looking looking forward to writing more so are you exclusively there in within their kdp select program i have a couple books that are on that are on the exclusivity clause and that's how i started because i think for first-time authors you don't have a big built-in audience mm-hmm. there's some there's some very powerful things you can do with that free that free promo launch so um, I'm sure you've talked about this before, but like that's the biggest in my mind. That's the biggest benefit of giving them the exclusive rights mm-hmm. is you know being able to do the free promo launch. Um, so I have a couple books that are on KDP Select at least for the time being, um, and a couple that aren't just because I wanted to experiment with some different uh, some different platforms and like uh, you know Barnes and Nobles and uh, Smashwords and iBooks and all this stuff. And those haven't been amazing. I guess it's incremental, but it's, I don't know, they haven't, still most of the sales come through Amazon. But one one platform that, that was actually pretty interesting uh, was Fiverr. So Fiverr is the uh, the $5 marketplace, you know, goods and services, everything starting at $5. And so I had interviewed a guy uh, for, the, for the podcast last year who said he earned enough on Fiverr to buy a house like in cash with with like his first year on the platform like oh my gosh what you know what's the story how how is he doing this and so came out that because it's like okay you're selling your time you get four dollars at the five or takes a dollar cut or 20 percent cut 
And so you're getting four dollars for this. Like, what? Is, what could you possibly be selling that's worth your time? And it turns out, hey, I'm just selling PDF files. I'm selling like these pre-written files that you know you know create once and sell a hundred times. And I was like, okay. Then that was kind of a little bit of a light bulb moment. So I let the um, I let the KDP select expire on one of these books. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. So I'm going to put this up here and see if anybody buys it. And and people did. I was kind of I was kind of surprised. You know, with minimal you know marketing, I think it just kind of captured some keyword searches on uh, on Fiverr for the topic. Uh-huh. And people people ordered it. Now it's it's kind of it's actually come way down. Like I don't think it's sold hardly any copies uh, last month. But uh, for the first few months, it was doing. Is doing pretty well for a certain period. It's actually selling more than it was on Amazon. I was like, oh my wow, gosh. that that's really interesting because I mean, uh, I've heard so many different things on uh, book promotions, and I never heard anyone mentioning Fiverr. So that's really interesting, like new, completely new route to investigate. Because um, actually, I presume you were getting uh, more money per book from Fiverr than from Amazon, right? Yeah, so the book, um, and at the time it was priced higher, but now the book is at two ninety nine, so I make about two bucks a copy. Mm-hmm. But on Fiverr, everything is five dollars, so it's a. Five, so you're getting four. No, I'm getting four dollars a copy, so almost twice as much. And so far, no one has complained that, hey, why are you selling? Why are you selling this for more? Because I think it's a different audience. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because I mean, I usually used Fiverr. Um, well, I used it for um, creating the full paperback uh, design or book cover mm-hmm. from from the Kindle book cover I already had because uh, when uh, I tried to have it, you know, from scratch, I never had luck with the designers and never got a good quality thing. But once you already have the ready cover for your Kindle and you need it later on for Create Space. Then you know it's it's quite a basic thing to do, and you get with with five bags, you kind of you know get the full <laughs> print uh, version of the cover with the back cover and and the side and everything ready for to upload on Create Space. So for that, I'm I'm usually using Fiverr, and yeah. uh, and I my podcast intro is from Fiverr as well. But oh, I mine too. <laughs> I never I I mean I never thought about <laughs> looking for a book in Fiverr. To be honest, I mean, I never even thought that books were sold in there as well. Yeah, and so. I don't know, like it's it's come down. What's um, so now? One of my gigs, so that kind of got me got me started on like, oh, how you know, what can I, what else can I do on this platform? So one of the gigs that I started doing is like these five minute uh, video screen recordings of people's websites. So I'll turn on the screen recorder and I'll say, hey, this is what I would do to improve this website from you know SEO, conversion, design, whatever, mm-hmm. and. And then as the upsell, I was like, okay, here's my, here's my book. Here's, you know, I'll give you my, my website checklist or something. It was another book that I have written. And, and that, and I, I'm like so happy when everyone, when anyone orders that, cause I haven't, you know, haven't updated it in a year. And so every, every <laughs> order that comes through is just like free, free money. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of book publishing in general, but it was, you know, that's kind of exciting. Okay, so we found out that in uh, it doesn't require uh, any marketing, right? You you got these people buying your book just by being there, right? Yeah, and so there's 
yeah, I don't know. That's that's the biggest challenge. Like trying to get that initial momentum, trying to get people to order it when you have zero zero feedback, zero reviews. And so you can reach out to your friends. You could you know send them five dollars on PayPal, and then you get four dollars back when they buy your gig. And so <laughs> it's like it's pretty pretty expensive if you want to build up that initial. Uh, you know, initial social proof on your account. Because after 10 orders, then you become like a level one seller and then you can add certain upsells and stuff. So, um, okay. Pretty- did, did you get any feedbacks or any anything from the people who bought your book? Yeah, they were happy with it. Okay. So, so they even left reviews as well. Yeah. And so that's one thing I make sure to put in my kind of delivery script. Like, hey, thanks so much for the order. Here's the file. Let me know if you have any questions, feedback. And actually, I put a uh, a calendar link at the very end. It says, hey, hey, if you want to talk outsourcing, you want to talk virtual assistants, you know, let's set up a 15-minute meeting, no charge, no questions asked. Um, and then at the bottom, it says, like, hey, uh, you know, if you found this valuable, please be sure to leave a five-star review here on Fiverr. Like, I'm a relatively new seller, and that feedback is super important. And so that seems to seems to encourage people to uh, to leave a five-star. Uh-huh. Well, very interesting. I mean, I really, um, it's something very unexpected, let's say. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think, obviously, nonfiction, I think, would work better. Because I think people, for the most part, are, you know, looking for, you know, solutions to their problems and stuff like that versus just entertainment. Yeah, well, with nonfiction, everything seems to be much easier. Even the writing of the nonfiction book is much, much easier. Than yeah. writing fiction. I, I don't know. I just I'm not the. Um, I don't know. I have a hard time. Maybe one day when I'll <laughs> retire, I'll, I'll put together the great American novel. Yeah, no. I mean, I I think that business wise and in terms of making money uh, and you know spending relatively less time on the books, it, nonfiction is better because uh, you know it's it's relatively easier to write. It's relatively easier to market. And you can link it to your business and other services you're providing so it's kind yeah. of you know it's it, it's kind of as part of the business while with fiction you have to it's a long-term thing and you have to create that business through your books and you know writing a novel is it takes much much longer and you know working and making it perfect later on in terms of ad- the editing works and things like that it takes much longer in this more expensive than the nonfiction thing because yeah. nonfiction is usually shorter so it takes less time and you, editors charge less because they charge per word so you know yeah. <laughs> how long how long are your nonfiction books as an example uh i i oh, haven't sorry, your, your fiction works. <laughs> my fiction works are i have two novels which are around from 50 to sixty thousand words so they are relatively small for fiction because like for example there are some categories like thrillers and things like that which are in average around one hundred thousand words so uh yeah yeah, and, it's like three times longer than, than mine. Yeah, it's three times longer and it's, uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that it's very difficult to to create relationship with your readers. I mean, the romance uh, book writers uh, are, you know, it's easier for them somehow, a bit, uh, but still, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always kind of difficult because even it, when writers blog, for example, you know, nonfiction writers blog about the topics they are writing about 
for fiction writers, it's a bit difficult because if you are <laughs> not very well-known writer who can blog about himself and people are interested and you can post your, some of your personal, I don't know, photos or photos of the places you work at and things like that, you know, at some stage, once you're already there and you're well-known, you can do that. But if right. you are not, what are you supposed to blog about? <laughs> so yeah, I can see like this is this is Dan Brown like researching his next Robert Langdon novel, yeah. <laughs> but then yeah, if, if no one knows who you are, it's like I don't really care what your desk yeah, looks like. So I mean, the maximum you can do is most probably uh, write about topics which you covered in your fiction books, like you know, with Dan Brown, he might go on and blog around some religious stuff, for example. I don't know, some mystical things, etc. But it's it's a challenge. It's difficult, and very few have found this you know right way to kind of promote their books and and build the author platform because with yeah. fiction it takes longer and it's more difficult with non-fiction it's relatively uh, simpler i don't know uh, that, i, I that's agree the with that i don't i'm not envious of you at all on that yeah point. i mean that that's the impression i'm getting it's not like you know i haven't written a non-fiction book yet i started one and you know uh but again, look, I mean, I started a non writing nonfiction book. I wrote it for about a week and I'm 70% done already, approximately. So, you know, yeah. if, if I find <laughs> the time and write for one more week, it, you know, the first draft will be ready and it can go for editing. But if you're not, not doing NaNoWriMo or some kind of, you don't put yourself under that kind of pressure <laughs> writing writing a real novel i mean decent novel in one month it's very difficult if you don't have that kind of challenge and pressure and you know you don't force yourself then it's quite tough so i don't know <laughs> but fiverr it's kind of you know it's the intake from this interview because that's like one of the most amazing and interesting things that I discovered recently. So uh, thank you for that tip. And you bet. You bet. <laughs> what about um, how do you keep the ongoing sales on Amazon? Because I presume in the beginning with the promo and you know with with this interest and it was new and most probably uh, it it was in the hot new uh, releases etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, in the beginning, you kind of get the momentum and you have some yeah. sales. Later on, they, if you don't continue doing something, if you leave it like that, it, it dries out somehow. So what do you do to keep the ongoing sales? Yeah, it's definitely come down from from where it was. So it's like, you know, and, and, it, and it's kind of a pretty steady downward slope without breathing new life into it. So a couple of things that I'm actually uh, from the very beginning, one thing that's really, really important. A lot of people overlook is that transition from free to uh, to paid. Mm -hmm. And so what I what I found was effective was on that last day of the promo the night before I changed the price. Uh, to 99 cents. And so this was Friday. So Thursday night, I changed the price to 99 cents. So it would update on Thursday or whatever, 12 hours later, however long it takes. Um, and so it was still free on Friday morning, still free, still free, still free. Around noon, I decided, so this is noon Pacific time. I don't know if this is an exact science or whatever. It just happened to be the time that I shut it off. So I shut off the promo, the free promo manually at 12 o'clock on, on Friday. And so what happens then is the book is, you know, ranked number one in business, ranked number one in productivity. And it's still showing up on all these free charts. And mm -hmm. it just says, and it just says now it's 99 cents. And so I added a, a, a line at the top of the description that says, hey, 
you know, 99 cents um, for a limited time. And the, the effect of that is that you're still getting all this exposure, kind of, kind of this internal traffic from Amazon because mm-hmm. you're at the top of all of these categories. And there's like, I don't know if they're going to change this in the future, but like at least at that time, it's like a three to four hour window you mm-hmm. know, where you're still ranking on all these on these uh, free charts. And so that's why the 99 cent price point or price point was, was important because it was like, Oh, it's not free anymore. Ah, but look, it's got uh, a bunch of positive reviews. People seem to like it. And it's just 99 cents. Like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and buy that. And so I left it at 99 cents over the course of the weekend, you know, for the first two or three days after that free promo and sold, I don't know, three, 400 copies. And I think because the, the free charts and the paid charts are, Mm-hmm. Pretty much, there's pretty much like a line drawn down. Like it doesn't necessarily have that impact, but by getting those initial paid sales, it proved to Amazon, like, hey, people are willing to pay money, even if it's just 99 cents. People are willing to pay money for this product, and so then be, began to rank on the on the paid charts. And as I, you know, then I raised the price to the normal price, 2.99, and, it, and then it continued to make to make sales, and you know, over time. They decrease. So what I'm trying to do this month is do a couple countdown deals mm-hmm. um, to see if because it's still on KDP Select. So run a couple countdown deals and see if that uh, can breathe some new life back into it for the holidays. And do you have any? I mean, can you track somehow? Do you have any information about how many um, potential clients are you getting from these book sales? That's a that's a good question. Um, so I can see who has signed up for my email list through the specific landing page that's referenced in the, in the mm-hmm. book, which is something, um, you know, for fiction or nonfiction authors, I think is really important because Amazon doesn't give you the yeah. contact information. They're like, Hey, these are our customers, not your customers. Yeah. Like, well, you know, I would like to have a relationship with these people too. Um, so that's something that, so that resulted in, you know, several hundred new people signing up for the email list, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so I guess I could, you know, reach out to them specifically and be like, you know, what kind of side hustle help do you need or something? Yeah, that's, I mean, several hundred people, it's it's quite good. I mean, especially if you take into account that you didn't do anything extra for that. I mean, you you kind of, you worked on the marketing of your book and you didn't uh, have to spend extra time or do some extra work to get those people on your list as well. You you had the form in the book, that was it. So right. it's, 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 it's quite effective. So, so what do you know? What was the conversion rate approximately? Oh, from downloads to downloads to sign up? I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, say... Say 500, which might be high or low. So 500 over 20,000, which I don't know. Well, I can't do the math on the fly. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Well, uh, but I, I think it's still, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's nonfiction or fiction, but it's still always exciting to know that so many people have your stuff in their Kindles. I mean, we, we never know how many from those who downloaded the book actually read it later on because that's yeah. something we we can't find out either but you know just just the thought that you know we kind of uh, spent some time and effort to create the book and then the book ended up in in many thousands of kindles it it kind do you ever, of do you ever start to get nervous at that point when i'm like <laughs> they, you know this is great it's going viral but then it's like 
oh, what if, you know, what if people don't like it? Or you know, now, now I'm like opening you know, myself up to bad that, reviews or something. That's always scary because if you get a bad review on Amazon, you can't really do much. I mean, you, you can report it, you can try to explain that, you know, it should be out, etc. But most probably it will stay there. So you don't have the, it's not your website, so you can erase it yeah. or, you know, or reply something. Because usually if you go into a dialogue and start replying and things can get even uglier so usually you know it's better not even to interfere but it's always yeah it's kind of always um very um, not even annoying it it kind of uh, it makes you feel a bit I don't know. It's it's very hard to get a one star review, especially if it's a bit harsh, and it's very difficult not to take it personal. Although it's not because this person doesn't know you, you know, he and he's talking about the book, not yourself. But you know, it's 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 always difficult to absorb <laughs> somehow. Uh, it is. Gosh, I, I I remember I got my first like one star <laughs> review, and I was like, I don't know, I was like devastated. I was like, a, I was like just depressed the whole weekend i don't know i was oh. like what my wife was like what's wrong with you and i got a one star. somebody didn't like my book <laughs> although you know actually when you mentioned about the relationships and the people who you can reach out uh when i got i i had one really really bad one star review actually and um it was um it wasn't biased because i knew the person and i knew why he wrote that but anyway oh. it was very harsh and uh, since i knew what was the reason i i took it relatively okay uh but uh, what what made like me warm inside was that these people these relationships and these people who saw the reviews they immediately started getting in touch with me through facebook or they wrote me an email saying you know don't pay attention please don't listen to him because he he was advising me quitting writing and you know oh, that geez. that you know i wasn't doing it well enough and i was doing some other things better so i shouldn't even really think about this etc cetera, etc cetera. so I had emails and I had Facebook messages from people saying, you know, please don't listen to this person and, you know, you shouldn't quit writing. Please don't even think about that. And, and, you know, it was just one star review and one one star review, but there were so many other, you know, messages I've got that day that, you know, actually I, I felt much, much happier than in my usual days (laughs) at the end of the day. So you never know. I mean, it's just, you know, I always tell people you can never write a book which will be loved by everyone and no one has done that yet so you will always have someone who won't write it uh, like it and then you know that someone might not be lazy enough and might uh, decide to put the time and effort to write your review and that's okay (laughs) yeah on on the tactical side one thing that's that i found was important is to have those you have your friends and supporters Go ahead, because Amazon has a button at the bottom of every review. Was this review helpful to you? Yeah. And be sure to click no on the one that was like flaming negative, even if it was helpful. Like they had some constructive criticism in there. Um, But the reason is because Amazon's default, you know, how they're displaying those reviews is like buy most helpful first. Mm -hmm. And so if a lot of people go through and upvote the negative review, like that's going to be the first one that people see. And so um, you're trying to make sure that I push that push that one down and, and upvote the five star ones. Yeah, especially if you have many reviews and it's down, no one is really going that deep and reading yep. all the reviews. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Well, Nick, 
Thank you very much for all those insights. Uh, I'm sure we found out many interesting things. I mean, the top one is the Fiverr. I, I'm still <laughs> convinced about that one. But, you know, we, we found out lots of useful tips. And um, I'm sure that uh, with this positive um, vibe we had today, uh, more people will be considering the side hustle and especially the self-publishing route very soon. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Thanks for coming over. Thank you for your time. You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, it seems like that was it for today. I hope that what we covered in the interview was really useful to you. And also, I would like to remind you, if you get time, you know, just one minute, please hop over to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast. Because when I'm feeling down and depressed, when I'm having those bad days, what I'm doing is I'm going to iTunes and reading your reviews and they brighten up my day and bring extra motivation and enthusiasm to carry on and record new episodes. Well, as to you, I think you know what you have to do. Uh, if you haven't done it today yet, go ahead, write, create really wonderful stories so later on we can read those and once again don't forget to get your free ebook at www.anialexander.com free in order to find out how to create a good quality book how to prepare it for publishing and how to find readers well it seems that i told everything i wanted to tell you today so take care have a nice day and i'll meet you next week 